In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. In our first passage this morning from Hebrew Scriptures, from the book of Amos, we have this sort of fascinating conversation between God and Amos. And it's an important metaphor for the day. It's the idea of a plumb line. God says to Amos, I am going to put a plumb line in the midst of my people. And it's hard to tell sort of from the context of the passage that we have, so you need a little bit more. But what God is trying to say is, I am going to put a plumb line in the midst of the people and judge them and measure them and decide how well they are following the law. Now, a plumb line, some of you may know, sort of a long cord, and there's what we call a bob at the bottom. It's sort of a heavy thing. And gravity, as we know, will pull that down, and it makes the cord nice and straight. And in the ancient world, that is how they would sort of figure out if something was built properly. If the lines were vertical, if the building was sound, if it was sort of stable and kind of going in the right direction. You couldn't just rely on your eye, because our eyes deceive us sometimes, and you needed the actual angle, the actual sort of proof that it was headed in the right direction. The lines are upright and orderly, precise even. In fact, people still use plumb lines now. So what God is saying is, I'm going to drop this plumb line in the midst of the people and see how well they measure up against it, to see how well they are living into the law, whether they are fulfilling it. Now, the law of the people of Israel was intended to move them from a place of just being individuals, just random human beings, to the place of being a people, a community, a community of justice and righteousness, a community that loved God and loved the law and learned through that to love each other. So the measuring of this plumb line is about figuring out whether Israel is following the law by checking the boxes and following the rules and doing sort of the superficial first pass, or has the law been so rooted in their hearts that it has grounded them in a new way, that it has made them a people? And if you followed along in the rest of that reading, you know that it doesn't go terribly well for Amos. And then he goes ahead and says some really not-so-great news. So it gets a little rocky after this passage. But what's important for us this morning is this idea of a plumb line and that God wants to measure how well Israel is following the law, how well the law is living in them and moving them and changing them. In the Gospel this morning, we have what is probably the most famous of Jesus' parables the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan itself is a phrase that has made itself sort of part of English language and part of our culture. People who may not know this story and may not know this context are sort of reminded of things like responsibility when you use the phrase Good Samaritan. It awakens in us the idea of a good person, somebody who does the right thing, even removed from this passage. And so it's become kind of a almost a token sort of story, I think. It's very easy to hear this story and think, oh, well, I would be the one who walked along the road and was merciful, right? Of course I would do that. But the truth is that there's so much more in the context of the story that is really, really important for us, and it's so much more complicated than just that sort of happy ending and good moral. And to really understand it, we actually have to go back to the gospel from last week. When the text told us that Jesus 
and the disciples were walking past a Samaritan village that did not receive him because he had set his face toward Jerusalem. Which makes it sound like Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem, he's on a mission, he's kind of doing his thing and he doesn't want to stop. But truthfully, that's probably an oversimplification because the text goes on to tell us then that the disciples are really, really angry that this village didn't receive him. In fact, they're so angry that they ask Jesus if they should call down fire on the village and burn the whole thing up. Now, why would they be so angry if he didn't want to stop and he didn't want to go in? So probably the other part of the reason they didn't receive him is because there are huge tensions between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And there's probably lots of reasons for that, and I'm going to sort of oversimplify and focus on two of them. And one is that both of these tribes come from the same place. They are all children of Abraham. So they are all part of the covenant that God makes with God's people, which means that even though they're separate tribes, both claim God's blessing. Both claim to be the chosen people. Both claim the heritage of the light to the nations and the presence of God. And we all know human beings are not particularly good at sharing. So there's really only room for one group at the top. And the two sort of butt heads over this all the time because they both want to be the chosen people. What's underneath that is a sort of more insidious argument about race. Because while these tribes started out in the same place and were at one point the same people, over time and for lots of reasons, they've become two separate tribes with two separate identities. And the Samaritans have sort of shifted a little bit geographically and also married outside the tribe. So now, thousands of years later, they actually look different and sound different and their language is a little different. And so the other tension is about race and ethnicity and difference that comes from those things. And there are caricatures on both sides of this equation. These are people who don't like each other at all. They assume the worst of the other population and just like now, whenever that's true, there are sort of the, the overarching kind of meta disagreements that happen above, right? In the region, in the politics, in sort of the big picture kind of tension that happens. And then, of course, it still plays out on a much more intimate level, in between people, in sort of interpersonal, intimate experiences. And that's what we have in the gospel last week and in the gospel this week this tension between these two populations that claim God's blessing and both that they are better than the other group because of who they are and how they look and because they think God loves them more. So that's the context of this story that Jesus tells. And it's probably true that the disciples are with him and there are some other crowds of people with him and they're all probably pretty angry that he's telling this story. So first, we have this exchange between him and the lawyer. And I, you know, the lawyer gets sort of a bad reputation, but I kind of love the lawyer. Because I think what the lawyer does is so tremendously human. Um, in fact, I was thinking in the last couple of days about times when I've been in a room with people and maybe not wanted to test somebody, but wanted someone to think that I was smart. You know, wanted, wanted someone to notice me, wanted to be the one who said, like, the, the smart, witty, creative thing. Right? And you try that, and you think you're going to get there, and then you totally screw it up. 
and you realize after you've said it that what you actually said made you sound kind of dumb in front of somebody that you kind of wanted to think you were smart and cool. That's kind of what happens to the lawyer. Now the text tells us he's trying to, he's trying to test Jesus, but in reality he's, he's trying to sort of have a conversation with this teacher and maybe sort of get him to trip over something so that other people will know that he's smart, that he knows the law. Because he's not a lawyer of you know, accidents or tax or finance or anything like that. This is a biblical lawyer. He probably arbitrated cases about property and rights and relationships. So he knows the law, which is why he can rattle off exactly what the law says, word for word. And he asks this question, and Jesus answers him. He honors the fact that the text is alive. What does the text say, and how do you read it? Our interpretation matters. And then the lawyer sort of realizes he asked a question that he could answer himself, and he kind of wasted his space for a little bit. So he feels like he needs to defend himself a little bit and kind of take the conversation back, and he redirects, and he says, fine, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? Which is also a terribly human question, but less appealing. Because the implication of the question, who is my neighbor, is who isn't my neighbor? Yes, Jesus, I understand I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to do all these things, and, you know, with all my heart and all my strength and all my soul and love my neighbor as myself, but who do I have to care about, really? Who isn't my neighbor? Who do I not have to care about? Where is the line? How far do I have to go to love my neighbor as myself? Who's in? Who's out? Who matters? Who doesn't? And Jesus tells this parable in response. Now again, considering the audience that is around him, the audience who's largely Jewish, it would have enraged them that he says a priest and a Levite walk by. Because these are educated, sophisticated people who know the law. They know deep down in their hearts, in their brains, in their very bones, they know that the law requires them to stop, to help this stranger, no matter who it is. They know that the law expects that of them. And because no one's looking, they walk straight by on the other side. And the one who stops is the Samaritan. The one who society and culture and history has told them can't be trusted, isn't worth a whole lot, and definitely is not beloved of God. This is the one who stops and does something really incredible. He uses all of the resources he has, really, everything at his disposal to fix what is wrong with this man. First, he stops and spends the time, which is the first thing. Second, he takes a bit of a risk, given the fact that Jews hate Samaritans so much. It may not have gone well for him, or he could have been accused of having done the beating in the first place. He uses his physical energy to lift the man up on his own animal. He uses his language and his influence to talk to the innkeeper, and he puts his money where his mouth is and uses his resources to help this man get well. This man who is different from him, this man who presumably is Jewish and is the opposite, his enemy, according to everyone around him. I have to believe that one of the things Jesus wants out of this parable is not just to sort of poke at the priest and the Levite and say, you don't seem to get it. Though that is what he's saying. He's suggesting that though those folks might in public follow the rules, 
Their heart is not in it. They're checking the boxes. But the law has not sunk so deep within them. It hasn't shifted them. It hasn't converted them. It hasn't compelled them to live in a different way. It hasn't moved them from being individuals to being part of a community that is justice-oriented, that is interested in holiness and righteousness. He is saying that, but that's not all he's saying. He has to also think that the lawyer needs to be reminded that the Samaritan is his neighbor, too. The implication of Jesus' story and of his answer is that everyone is our neighbor, that there's no one who falls outside the, the bounds of being neighbor, that everybody belongs. And the reason that the plumb line is important is because Jesus tells us this story. Jesus comes among us, takes on flesh, comes into the world, lives in a particular way, and tells us stories like these because he and his love are the plumb line. He comes into the midst of the world and into the midst of God's people to show us the measure, to show us the path, to show us the line, to be the one that measures up against the wall and the building, to decide whether our bounds, our lines are vertical and upright. Are we stable? Are we secure? In scripture, there's images all over the place, in Hebrew scripture and in our own Christian texts about how we are intended to be the living stones that are built together into a sanctuary, a sanctuary for God, where God is worshiped and beloved, where God dwells, but also a sanctuary for the people around us so that they can come in and find rest and safety and experience their own conversion, their own faith. Jesus comes into the world to be the plumb line that measures, to see whether or not the structure that we are as individuals and the structure we are building as a community actually works, whether it actually stands. The difference is we're not measuring up to the law, we're measuring up to something else. And that something else that makes up the line is Jesus' love. Love that every time we see him goes and looks for the least and the last, goes to the places where no one else to go, wants to go, pulls people in who society says don't belong, makes room at the table, breaks the rules, eats with people he shouldn't, and then finally pours himself out on the cross, giving all of it away. That is the measure. That is the love. That is the plumb line that God drops into the middle of the world, into the middle of God's people, and says, this is how you are intended to measure yourself. This is the law. And it doesn't matter whether you're the priest or the Levite who follows all the rules and checks all the boxes. What matters is whether the law has started to dwell within you so much that you have been changed and converted and that when you see someone hurting, you can't help but stop and show them mercy. What matters is the conversion and whether love lives in you. And so this morning and for the rest of the what I hope you will do is take this parable that you've probably heard a thousand times and imagine what it means for love to be the law of this parable and for love to be the law of your life. Where are the differences, the bridges, the gaps, the places of difference, like between the Jews and the Samaritans? Where are those places in your life? Who are the people that are bleeding and hurting? Who are the people that need your love and attention? Who are the people that need you to reach across difference and do something kind and merciful? 
Where are the places where you are called to make sure that your life is in line with that measure, in line with that love? God sends Jesus into the world to be the plumb line, to show us the path, to show us the way, and to give us love so that we might measure ourselves and our lives and our communities and all that we build against it. So that we might see whether our lines are vertical and upright, or whether what we're building is a little crooked and needs some adjustment. Who is it that you need to cross the street and love? What difference do you need to dismantle in order to do that? And if God drops this plumb line into your life this morning, how will you measure up? Is your wall straight? Are the stones square? Is love the law? Amen.